Thanks, guys. Well, good evening. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors here at St. George North. And uh, we've already prayed in light of God's Word. So we'll jump straight in. Make sure you've got your Bibles there. You're flying blind without God's Word in front of you. So make sure that's there. And make sure you've got your outline. That'll be helpful. And uh, as uh, those, particularly the first parable, but as those parables were just read out for us, uh, they seem like pretty easy parables to get your head around. It seems like the passage we have tonight is a pretty simple one. Uh, Jesus is giving good advice and some moral teaching about humility. And uh, we all love the humble person. We love the person who's truly humble. They're just, they're likable. We'll talk about them. We'll say, hey, that person's great. Uh, They're really nice, aren't they? They're patient. They're humble. They're full of humility. Uh, And by that, I don't mean the, you know, the humble brag kind of person. I couldn't help but look up a few humble brags during the week online. Now, this is my favorite one that I found. It's from this well-known American pastor who won't be named. Uh, he tweets this. He says, I'm truly humbled you follow my tweets. I pray they enrich your life and strengthen your ministry. God bless all 200,000 of you. Uh, you know, humble American pastor. He, he, he must be truly humbled. See, we don't, we don't like that kind of humility, particularly us in Australia. We, that's fake. We don't like it. Um, we don't do that. But the person who's truly humble, we like them. They're likable. We speak well of them. And so as, as we first kind of read and hear this passage and what Jesus is teaching in this passage, it sounds like this is good advice and good moral teaching on humility. But as always with Jesus' parables, we need to be better readers than that. And if you read uh, this parable through a few times, and if you read it in its context, so within all of chapter 14, and if you read it with chapter 13 in mind, it becomes uh, pretty obvious pretty quickly that there's more here than some moral teaching on humility. And part of the key is back in chapter 13. So I'm going to make us do a little bit of work before we jump into our seven verses. So go back to chapter 13, flick back or scroll back or whatever it is you do. Chapter 13, verse 23. Because there, in that verse, there's a man who asks Jesus a very simple question, but an important question. Verse 23, he asks Jesus, are there few being saved? Uh, And really what he means by that is how many will be in the kingdom of heaven? How many people will be saved? And from then on, through the rest of chapter 13 and into chapter 14, Jesus is teaching about what the kingdom is like uh, and how people enter that kingdom. And the shock is, as he teaches, that the kingdom of God does not operate like the kingdoms of this world. And the shock is that the people of the kingdom are not like the people of this world. Uh, For one, the kingdom is like chapter 13, verse 30. So have a look at verse 30. Chapter 13, verse 30. This is the kind of place the kingdom is. It's the kind of place where some who are last, Jesus says, will be first. And some who are first will be last. And that, that's not how the world works, but that's how the kingdom works. And the way of the kingdom, verse 24 of chapter 13, go back to verse 24, the way of the kingdom is through the narrow door. That's the way of the kingdom. It's, it's specific, it's particular, it's not the way of the world. And in our uh, section, Jesus, uh, the passage we're looking at tonight, Jesus is addressing the Pharisees. Uh, and the, the Pharisees, they're, they're the religious elite of the day, they're the kind of people who exalted themselves above all others, and it's a heated scene. Uh, Jesus is at the dinner table, and he's been invited by a leading Pharisee. So this particular Pharisee, he's a bit of a bigwig, he's important, he's well-to-do, he's at the top of the food chain uh, for the Jews of that time. 
And chapter 14, verse 1, have a look now, chapter 14, verse 1. At the end of that verse, they, the Pharisees, we are told, were watching Jesus closely. In other words, while Jesus is at this dinner party, at this dinner table, the Pharisees are looking for a way to catch him out. They're looking for a way to condemn him, to lay guilt on him. And in particular, they're trying to get him to break the law as they understood it on the Sabbath, on their special day. Uh, and there's, there's more that can be said about what surrounds this parable. But, but the main thing you need to keep in mind as we look at our passage is that what Jesus is doing in these parables is much more than some simple lesson or moral teaching on humility. You see, what Jesus is doing is he's teaching what the kingdom is like. Uh, he's teaching about what it looks like to enter that kingdom. Uh, he's basically teaching about the way of the kingdom. So if you've got your outline there, on the outline, I've called this talk the way of the kingdom. Uh, that's what Jesus is doing in this section. That's what he's teaching on. Uh, and there, there are two things we learn from the two parables that Jesus tells. And the first is that the way of the kingdom is the way of humility. And the second is that the way of the kingdom is the way of generosity. Uh, so we'll look at both of those in turn. Firstly, point one in your outline, the way of humility. And just uh, notice at the beginning of our passage at verse 7, so chapter 14, verse 7, just notice that Jesus tells the parable when he noticed how the guests that were invited to the dinner would choose the best places for themselves. So imagine they've been invited, they've said, hey, come to my house for dinner, and as they've come, they've all tried to take the best places for themselves at the dinner table. Uh, and if we're honest about that, we're all inclined to do that. I reckon it would be very rare, there'd probably be no one here tonight who's gone to an empty cinema where you're just about to watch whatever movie you've paid, what is it now, like almost $600 to go watch a movie nowadays, it's a rip-off. Uh, you've just paid good money to go watch a movie and the cinema is empty and what do you do? Do you go in there thinking, actually, I'm going to take the worst spot, even though I can choose any seat I want, just in case other people come so then they can have the better spots? See, that person rarely exists, if at all. Uh, I remember in the early days of high school, if I didn't get to the bus early in the afternoon, I'd be stuck standing in the aisle. And uh, if you remember, for some of you who are a little bit uh, kind of past the stage of year seven, when you're in year seven, you're the short guy, right? And so if you're on the, in the aisle on the school bus when you're in year seven, and you're next to a year 11 or you're a 12 boy uh, who is holding the bar up here in the aisle on a very hot, sweaty summer's day, if you're in year seven... Your eye and nose level is about here, and it's not a very nice place to be. See, nobody would say to the little year seven boy, hey, I've kept this seat for you. Come and sit here while, while I stand in the aisles on your behalf. But people don't do that. But Jesus says, look what he says in his parable. It's very simple. There's, there's a do not and there's a do. Have a look at verse 8. Jesus says, when you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not recline at the best place. Because a more distinguished person than you may have been invited by your host. The one who invited both of you may come and say to you, Give your place to this man, and then in humiliation you will proceed to take the lowest place. Uh, and some of you might not have experienced this yet, uh, but you will in time. Uh, you, you turn up at some function or some events, and again, there's not a lot of people there. So what do you do? You, you go to the front. You take the best seats. You're there early. Well, good for you. You take the best seats. And then uh, as the kind of time goes by, the room fills up more and more and all the people start coming in and there you are at the front, premium spots. 
And you're all smug about it as well. You're like, yeah, all well, these people back there, I'll get the good spot. And then suddenly someone comes up to you and says, well, actually, sorry, those seats are reserved for the family. And then you have to get up in front of a whole room full of people and go to the back. And because you're now you're last, really, uh, you get to the back and there's no seats left, so you just have to stand. And it's embarrassing, and you're stuck there all by yourself. And so Jesus says, what you should do instead, have a look at verse 10. Verse 10, he, said, do, he says, do this instead, but when you are invited, go and recline in the lowest place, so that when the one who invites you comes, he will say to you, friend, move up higher. You will then be honored in the presence of all other guests. Uh, and as a, as a minister uh, who takes a lot of weddings, uh, I often get invited to the wedding banquet. That's kind of part of what happens when you marry people. And uh, almost always they put me in the lowest place. So if you imagine a really long table, they put me at the end. Or if you imagine a hall full of tables, they put, uh, they put me and my wife at kind of the back tables in the nosebleeds. Uh, because, like, you've married them. So, like, oh, we have to invite the minister. He's married us. And so they don't know where to put us, so they just put us down the back somewhere. Uh, so, I can, so I can somewhat relate to this. And I say somewhat because no one has thought me distinguished enough in that context to move me up to the higher place. Um, that's not a hint, by the way. There's a, lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of weddings happening this year. I don't care. I promise. I promise. But it's, it's just good advice, isn't it? Jesus is giving good advice. If you have to choose... What would you do? Would you take a place of prominence and then be humiliated in front of everyone by being put down the back? Or would you take the lower place and then get moved up higher to your honor, to the praise of the people around you who think, wow, they must be important. They've put, been put up the front. It's an easy choice. But like I said at the beginning, this, this isn't simply some moral teaching on humility. And we begin to see that in verse uh, 11. So have a look at verse 11. Verse 11, this is the key. Jesus says, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And if we keep in mind that Jesus here is teaching Pharisees, and if you've been reading Luke's gospel up until this point, the Pharisees, they love to exalt themselves. And Jesus here, he's teaching on the way of the kingdom. And so what he's saying is far more than moral instruction or good advice on humility. No, this is a lesson on how one enters through the narrow door of the kingdom. Uh, this is a lesson on what kind of people the people of the kingdom are. And if, uh, if we read on into chapter uh, 14, the rest of chapter 14, and particularly the next parable, which we will do next week, Phil will preach on that next week, then we'll see that the wedding banquet there, it's not simply some everyday wedding reception. No, the wedding banquet and the banquet that we'll see next week is the banquet. It's the kingdom banquet. It's talking about the new creation. And so we're not dealing with the table etiquette and how to impress your mother-in-law-to-be. No, we're dealing with how one enters the kingdom. That's the key, how one enters through the narrow door. And the warning for the Pharisees, who Jesus is talking to in these parables, is don't think so highly of yourself, you Pharisee. Don't, don't think that you deserve the best places, you Pharisee. Uh, and it was there back in chapter 11 of Luke's Gospel. Again, if we were reading through, we would have seen in chapter 11, Jesus says, Woe to you Pharisees! Woe to you who love the front seats in the synagogues! Uh, and it was there in chapter 13 with the narrow door. Jesus says of the Pharisees, 
that some of them will find themselves standing outside the kingdom door and they'll knock on the kingdom door and I'll say, Lord, open up for us and let us in because the door is shut now. And the Lord will answer them and say, and say I don't know you or where you're from. And if we were to continue, if we were to keep reading in Luke's gospel to chapter 18, we would see the same words as we see here in verse 11 of chapter 14. And uh, in that parable, if you remember the parable in Luke chapter 18, there are two men that go to the temple to pray. Do you remember the parable? There's, uh, there's the Pharisee who goes up to the temple to pray. And the Pharisee, when he goes to the temple, he stands there and he prays to God. And he says, God, I thank you I'm not like all these other people. I thank you that especially I'm not like that tax collector. I'm pointing at nobody in particular over there. I'm not like that person, like that evil tax collector sinner. And then you have the other person, the tax collector, who goes up to the temple to pray. And that man, he stood there saying and praying to God. He says, God, turn your wrath away from me. Be merciful to me, a sinner. And then this is what Jesus says about those two men. It's up on the screen. He says this. He says, I tell you, this one, the tax collector, went down to his house justified, that he's right before God, rather than the other, the Pharisee. Why? For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And so there's a clear teaching and a warning for the Pharisee, for the, for the Pharisee who likes to exalt themselves from Jesus. Jesus is saying to those Pharisees, stop thinking you are okay. You're not. He's saying to them, stop believing to, that you are righteous and that you deserve the best places at the dinner table or in the kingdom or at the temple. You don't. And he's saying to them, if you do not humble yourself, if you do not realize your true state, the state of the tax collector, that actually you're a sinner like the rest of humanity, then you, Pharisee, you'll be humbled. You will be put down to the lowest places. And put simply, what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees here is, get rid of your pride before God. Get rid of it. Because the way of the kingdom is the way of humility. And I think with these kinds of uh, passages, when we read them in the Gospels, it's really easy for us to look at the Pharisee and to kind of put ourselves on, on Jesus' side of the debate. So to kind of see the Pharisees over there and see us with Jesus kind of pointing the finger and us saying, yeah, you self-righteous, proud Pharisee, you know, pride comes before the fall. Haven't you heard the old proverb? Just you wait, you, pri you proud Pharisee. But actually, what we forget is that we are no better, if we're honest. You see, our issues, our pride, our self-estimation of ourselves, it might, look, it might look different to that of of the religious Pharisees of Jesus' day, that, that's not what we do, but we're not immune, not by any means. We can be just as proud. And so we need to humble ourselves before God like the tax collector. We, we need to recognize our sin before God like the tax collector. Uh, I read a, a great quote about sin uh, during the week. It's, it's a little bit funny, uh, and it's, it's said with a little bit of tongue-in-cheek and a bit of sarcasm, and it was written by a pastor called uh, J.C. Ryle in the late 1800s. So this is a long, long time before the days of uh, political correctness. So it might be a little bit offensive, but that's okay. We're all big here. Uh, and it says something very true and very confronting. He says this. It's up on the screen. It's a bit old school language, but you'll be all right. He says, The fairest baby that has entered life this year 
and becomes the sunbeam of a family is not, as its mother perhaps fondly calls it, a little angel or a little innocent, but a little sinner. Alas, as it lies smiling and crowing in its cradle, that little creature carries in its heart the seeds of every kind of wickedness. Only watch it carefully as it grows in stature and its mind develops, and you will soon detect in it an incessant tendency to do that which is bad and a backwardness to that which is good. And the quote continues, Of all the foolish things that parents say about their children, I hope your mum hasn't said this about you, Of all the foolish things that parents say about their children, there is none worse than the common saying, My son has a good heart at the bottom. He's not what he ought. He's fallen into bad company. Public schools are bad places. The tutors neglect the boys. Yet he has a good heart at the bottom. The truth, unhappily, this is saying it very straightforwardly, is diametrically the other way. The first cause of all sin lies in the natural corruption of the boy's heart and not the school. And like I said, this is uh, the days before politically correct sayings and uh, you might not get away with that today in some company. But as you read it, it's it's a little bit tongue-in-cheek and he's having a bit of a go, but it conveys something very true and something we need to be very clear on. You see, from birth, in our hearts lies every kind of wickedness. And depending on your circumstance of life, depending on what opportunity you have for sin, well, that wickedness will express itself in all sorts of ways. And as I say that, if in your mind you're thinking, wow, look, hold on, now that's a bit harsh. I mean, I'm happy to talk about maybe this idea of, you know, displeasing God, but that's too much. How can you say that of a little baby? How can you say that of all humanity? That's, that's too much. It's not true. If you're thinking that, if we're thinking that, well, do we then have too high an estimation of ourselves? Are we then a little bit like those Pharisees? And do we have that germ of pride in our hearts thinking that actually we're not that bad? Are we a little bit like the Pharisee who points at the people around them and says, well, you know, thank God that I'm not like that person, that, I, that I'm not a sinner, You see, a few uh, pages later, J.C. Ryle, in the same book, he writes this. He says, I ask my readers to observe what deep reasons we all have for humiliation and self-abasement. Let us sit down before the picture of sin displayed to us in the Bible and consider what guilty, vile, corrupt creatures we all are in the sight of God. What cause we have to cry with the tax collector, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And there's, uh, there's nothing like talking about sin to really kind of bring the mood in a room down, you know, to really dampen things and to make everyone feel a bit sad and sorry. But, but that's the point, isn't it? You see, that's what Jesus is doing in the room that he's in full of these proud Pharisees. He's, he's humbling them. He's helping them to see their great need for mercy, their great need for a saviour. See, the way of the kingdom, the way of the narrow door to enter the kingdom is the way of humility. It's to be like the tax collector, to confess before God, I am a sinner. I I need to be saved. I'm in great need of your mercy. Jesus, save me from my sins. That's what it is to humble yourself. But what Jesus does next is he turns uh, to the host himself. And uh, he starts to question the host about his dinner guests. And so so basically at this uh, very lovely dinner... Jesus has insulted dinner guests and now he turns to the host and he starts insulting the host and making him feel all bad. 
And you know how sometimes people ask that, the kind of question, you know, if you could choose one person from all of history to have over for dinner, who would it be? And some people say Jesus. And at this point, you wonder, would that be wise to have Jesus over for dinner? He doesn't hold his punches. And when it comes to this Pharisee, this, this, this host who invited him along, he goes for it. So look at the second parable. The second parable, the way of generosity, verse 12. And again, there's a do not and a do here. So verse 12, he also said to the one who had invited him, when you give a lunch or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, your relatives or your rich neighbors, because they might invite you back and you will be repaid. And this is, this is not Jesus saying that we should never invite our friends or our family over for a meal. Uh, that's not his point. That's not the context. That's not what Jesus is saying. It's just, it's a simple parable to say, don't invite people over for lunch or dinner or do things for them with the view of being repaid by them. Don't do that. that that's just fake generosity. That, that's not generosity at all. It's self-interest. Uh, it's uh, it's kind of like what we've seen in a bit of a sad way with all the bushfires that have been happening. And you've seen a lot of generosity go out, which is great. But then on Facebook, I saw this company who basically went and, and delivered a whole bunch of water to this fire station down the coast. And what did they do? They videoed their whole trip with the advertising of their company. And when they got to the fire station, they took pictures of their advertising on their cars with the fire engines next to them. And the whole thing was not really an act of generosity. It was an act of advertising. You see, that's not generosity. That, that, that's just, that's just self-interest. You see, that's not what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, don't do that. He's saying instead, verse 13, have a look at verse 13. This is what you should do. On the contrary, when you host a banquet, invite those who are poor, the maimed, the lame, or the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. And again, just like the first parable, this isn't just some good moral teaching of Jesus on how we should be generous. This isn't some lesson on better manners. It's the way of the kingdom. Now look at the end of verse 14. End of verse 14, you see, why will you be blessed because they cannot repay you? Well, it's because you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. In other words, you will be repaid in the kingdom of heaven. You see, it's, it's the kingdom that's in view in what Jesus is saying here. And, and it's not that Jesus is saying, look, make sure you're generous in this life uh, so that, uh, to your cost so that then you can be repaid the kingdom of heaven. Uh, this is not Jesus saying, be generous in this life so then you can earn your way to heaven and, and into the kingdom. Uh, that wouldn't fit with the first parable. If, if ever we were to stand before God and say, hey God, look at how generous I've been. Look at all those people I looked out for, the, the poor, the, the maimed, the lame, the blind. And so God, look at how generous I've been and now you can repay me with the kingdom. Well, that's actually to exalt yourself before God. And we already know what will happen with people who, who uh, exalt themselves before God. They will be humbled. Now, the point Jesus is making to this leading Pharisee is that the way of the kingdom is the way of generosity. The way of the kingdom is to set your eyes on what's to come in the kingdom of heaven. It's about being generous now in this life, not to be repaid now in this life, but with the view of the kingdom in mind. With, with the view of being repaid in the kingdom, with the view of the treasures in heaven. And so there are two lessons for the Pharisees to learn about the way of the kingdom. Uh, the first is that the kingdom is the way of humility, 
So humble yourself. Humble yourself. Don't think so highly of yourself before God. Because if you do, you'll be humbled. You'll be brought low. But the second lesson is, realize that the way of the kingdom is the way of generosity in this life. So don't live to be repaid now. Don't live to be repaid in this life. No, live the way of generosity and your reward will be in heaven. And it's basically what we saw last week as we uh, see where our, where our treasure is, there our heart will be. And if our treasure is in heaven, well, no thieves come. No moth destroys. It's eternal. And the two parables, I think, really go together. Because if this leading Pharisee who put on this dinner, if he realized that the way of the kingdom is not the way of the proud, and it's not the way of the world or the self-righteous or the world to do, but it's actually the way of humility, and it's the way of generosity, then surely his invitation list would have looked different. If he got that, then his, his table guests would have been a whole bunch of different people. If he got that, then his table would have had poor people there. And people who are maimed, and people who are lame, and people who are blind, who were all around them at that time. See, there would have been an openness to all people because God is generous and merciful to all those who humble themselves. But what about us? Uh, we're not Pharisees. Uh, if you think you're a Pharisee, please come speak to me later. We'll have a bit of a chat. Uh, what about us? What about us today and the way of the kingdom? There are three short things I want to say. Uh, the first is, like we've already seen, the first and primary application of this passage is to remember that we stand as sinners before God. That's what we need to remember primarily. See, we, we, have, we have no grounds to boast or exalt ourselves before God. Uh, I don't know what your achievements in life have been up to this point. Uh, maybe you've, you've finished uni and you've got great marks and you've got a really good cadetship. Maybe you've got a really good intern position. Uh, maybe you're, you're, you've just finished year 12 and you've got a really good, uh, what do they call it now? Is it UAI or, or ATAR? <laughs> That's right. Maybe you've got a really good ATAR. You can tell I'm getting a bit older. Uh, you know, maybe you've got a really good job in whatever field you work in. You're a bit of a superstar. Maybe you're a superstar on the sporting field. Uh, maybe you have lots of letters already after your name. That's very impressive. Maybe your bank account has lots of figures in it. But before God... There's no place for boasting. It means nothing before God, lest you boast in Christ alone. And for many of us, for most of us here, we, we get this. And, and praise God that we do. And let us keep remembering this, because if we don't, if we, if we find ourselves getting proud before God, He'll humble us. Now, we come to Him with nothing, always. But if you haven't yet humbled yourself before God at all, if you haven't yet cried out before God saying, have mercy on me, a sinner. If that's, if that's something you haven't done yet, then dear friend, don't delay. Don't delay. See, don't, don't fulfill that old proverb of a fall, of pride comes before the fall. You see, Jesus offers you a place at the table of his kingdom. And forget the things of this world, it's a place at the table of his kingdom. And he offers that place, if only you would humble yourself before him, now. See, Jesus is the narrow door. He, he's the way to the kingdom. Jesus is the way to enter the kingdom. And so much better, eternally better, to rightly humble yourself now before God, because if you don't do it now, what do you think will happen on the last day? 
when you stand before God and all your sins are before you and you stand before him and you say, look at me, God, I'm great. And God will say, no, you're not. Your sins aren't paid for. Your sins haven't been dealt with. You never humbled yourself and cried out for mercy before me. Please don't be that person. But secondly, if the kingdom is the way of generosity and if God's mercy and kindness extends to all people, then we need to be the kind of people who invite all people to the kingdom feast. We need to be the kind of people who share Jesus with everyone if we get what this parable is saying. Uh, I've been reading uh, this book of late. It's called uh, Grace, Grit and Gumption. Uh, It's a true story about three uh, Welshmen. If you don't know what a Welshman is, it's someone who lives in Wales. Uh, And they went around preaching the gospel uh, in Wales in the late 1800s, so a couple hundred years ago. And they preached to the lower classes. And they preached to the lower classes because the well-to-do Christians of that day, and even the well-to-do ministers, like guys like me, who who are ministers of churches, they wouldn't go and preach to the lower classes. Because for them, that that wasn't very respectable. For them, they'd become so comfortable in their middle-class Christianity and so well-to-do that they wouldn't go and preach to the lower classes, kind of like the Pharisees in Jesus' time. But these are three men. They went about preaching to the drunks and to the laborers and to those who had no social standing whatsoever. And do you know what happened? Hundreds of them came to Christ. Hundreds of them came to Jesus looking for forgiveness of sins after they heard the gospel. And that shouldn't surprise us because these people, as they heard of the gospel and heard that they needed forgiveness in Jesus, they they had nothing to boast for before God. They had no social standing. They had no wealth. They, They had nothing. And so they came to God, came to Christ, asking for forgiveness of sins empty handed. And you know what? They will be exalted. Exalted above those well to do Christians of their time who never shared the gospel. And so we need to remember that the way of the kingdom is the way of generosity. And so we need to invite all people to the great kingdom feast. The poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, whoever. Not just people we like. Because that's always a temptation for us. We like to share Jesus with those we like. But we have to share share him with everyone. Uh, But thirdly and lastly, and I'll finish with this. As much as I've tried to to push uh, that what Jesus here teaches is not some simple moral lesson on humility... Nonetheless, this does teach us something about humility. Uh, You see, humility is the way of the kingdom. It's not Jesus' main point, but he is saying to us who are Christians, to us who follow Jesus, who are disciples, who belong to the kingdom, the way of the kingdom is the way of humility, and so we need to be people of humility. And uh, humility, it's a very tricky beast. And if you don't know this yet, you'll find it out as uh, some of you get older. Because if you try really, 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 really hard to be humble and work really hard at being humble and being a a person who's just full of humility, what do you think happens? You become proud about your trying really, really hard to be humble. And so it's not really humility. It's, It's pride. It's tricky like that, humility. But the key to humility is to look to Jesus, is to set your eyes on Jesus It's uh, the model uh, uh, that we see in Philippians chapter 2 where where Jesus, even though he's equal with God, what does Jesus do? He becomes one of us. He he lowers himself and becomes a creature, uh, one of the, uh, the people he created. And then what does Jesus do when he becomes man? Does he become a king? kind of living in a very nice palace and, and a nice uh, kind of kingdom? No. Does he become an aristocrat? No. 
What does Jesus do? He becomes the person who dies crucifixion, who dies on the cross, who's crucified. You see, that's our model. And the more we look to him, the more we look to Jesus, the more we reflect on Jesus and what we see of him in the Bible, well, the more we will practice humility, the more we will become like Christ. And as we do that, brothers and sisters, as we look to the king of the kingdom, well, we'll find ourselves more and more living the way of humility. And we'll find ourselves more and more living the way of generosity. So how about I pray that God will help us in this? Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you that even though there is nothing good in us that would save us and deserve us your kingdom, that in Jesus we have forgiveness, that we can cry out to you for mercy and humble ourselves before you, and you are pleased to exalt us and make us your children. And we thank you, Father, that you have done that work in us through your Spirit. And please, Father, we ask if there's anyone here tonight who hasn't yet cried to you for mercy, that you would work in their heart that they might do so that they might rightly realize their state before you and that you would make them your child. And Father, we pray as those of us who belong to Jesus that we would live the way of the kingdom, the way of humility, the way of generosity for the sake of your kingdom and for the sake of your glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.